Today, our reading will be from Genesis chapter 30, uh, verse 25 to chapter 31, verses 21. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you, and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you will, do this one thing for me. I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the pew branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face, uh, made the, rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if any animal, if, if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and females and, uh, and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength 
Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. If he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Josh, thank you. Well, morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to gather with some of you uh, here in the church building. It really is. And, uh, of course, online. That, I think, in a slightly crazy ten chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 30 is almost the looniest. But um, let's pray, uh, and then we'll make some sense of it, I think. Our great God and Father, we thank you for these strange stories that you've recorded and at first glance we wonder what on earth is going on but thank you that you do reveal that and in studying the confusion of centuries ago you speak well into our lives today help us understand rightly and respond truly to you we ask in jesus name amen well if you are joining us this morning i well, golly, where have you been? I mean, this, 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 this account of in Genesis 25 to 35 of um, primarily the life of, of Jacob, uh, it's just a compelling story. I mean, it's utterly dysfunctional. The, the, the family is worse than whatever you're, whatever you're watching, succession or whatever it may be at the moment. This is an utterly dysfunctional family. But the theological point in these chapters 25 to 35 is that God makes promises and he'll never let his people go. So he'd promised to bless the world through Jacob and his family. And he determines to do so even though they are a miserable family. And the rule of thumb of these sections is whatever you see the main characters do, don't do that. Because they are just a dysfunctional bunch. And in fact, most of the stories here in this 25 to 35, it's all about the life of Jacob. They are all bewildering until you get brief editorial comments every now and again explaining what it is that's actually taking place. So this is always in these stories, we see part of what's going on, but we need the fuller picture. So I don't know if these work, uh, Linnea. So um, can you see, I'm gonna give you a bit of a picture and then we're gonna zoom out and see it all. That may not work quite so well in the church with the sunshine this morning. It's, well, there we go. Okay, it was a sad horse. But when you zoom out, actually, there we go. It's a very happy horse. Um, well, I think it's happy. Certainly, it's intimate. Um, here's a, here's a favourite one that I saw uh, this week. If we just see a part of it. You, I don't know if you can read it again in the church building. This was a WHO poster. Cold weather and snow can kill coronavirus. And you think, great. Sort of, cold weather, snow in London. Uh, but then if you zoom out... Oh, uh, the point is, 
There are lots of rumours about coronavirus that are spreading that are simply not true. Don't listen to them all is actually the point of their thing. Uh, so coronavirus, they're the ones. Do you know this can be transmitted through mosquito bites and... Um, Hair dryers are active in killing coronavirus. There's apparently in one part of the world uh, a, a sort of prevalent rumour. All sorts of rumours. Now, if you just see a bit of the poster, brilliant snow. I just need to go where there's snow and there'd be no coronavirus. You're in trouble. You see the whole picture. It makes a bit more sense. Or here's another one. Everyone's favourite droid is uh, R2-D2. And you think, uh, oh, that's nice. We all have R2-D2. But if you zoom out, what's the point of this point? Oh, look, it's Disney. Disney. With the Stormtrooper with, the, uh, with Mickey's ears, Disney is just milking Star Wars for all it's worth, ruining this great international institution, I think is the point of the poster. Again, if you just sit, don't, you don't need to nod too vigorously. It's not a political point I'm making. Um, you just see part of the picture. You don't really get what's going on. You zoom out and see it all. Okay. Okay. It makes sense. We get very much that same principle at work in these chapters. Chapter 30 on its own, you read it and you think, that's bonkers. Well, it makes no sense. Let me zoom out a little bit in chapter 31. Okay, okay. Now we see what the Lord was doing. And so that's how we're going to look at it, really, the, the two chapters, chapter 30 and chapter 31. So chapter 30, we see that the schemes of Jacob bring him success. Well, that appears to be what's taking place. But you zoom out in chapter 31, and the Lord reveals that he's the source of success. It makes sense of a very strange story. Okay, we'll go look at those two uh, and then draw some conclusions at the end. First, then, in chapter 30, uh, we see that the schemes of Jacob bring success. Okay, pick it up, verse 25. At this point in the account, uh, uh, Jacob has been working for his uncle Laban for 14 years. And um, that's because they've sort of lied and cheated to one another. It's not gone very well. He's married two of uncle Laban's daughters. Yes, two. Uh, we thought about that last time, how disastrous that was. Um, but anyway, Jacob says, all right, I've worked for you for 14 years. Um, can I go on my way now? Verse 26. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Well, verse 27, Laban's been reading his tea leaves or whatever it may be and says to him, well, if I found favor in your eyes, please stay, Jacob. I've learned by divination, whatever, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, I'll pay them. Whatever it, look, I know that the only reason I'm wealthy is because of you, and that's because God has blessed you. So I don't want you to go. What's it going to take? Name your wages. Well, verse 30, oh, come on. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. Come on, but I, I, want, you know, I want to set up my own household now. Look, verse 31, what, what will it take? Okay, here's the deal, says Jacob, verse 31. Every flock of sheep and goats has a few that are not just plain uh, wooled. Uh, they're a bit spotty and speckled. Here's my one example, I, you know, a little example for you. Uh, Linnea, we've got um, just a, uh, a classic example, spotty sheep. 
No, maybe not. Anyway, but, um, oh, there we go. So on the one on the left, you know, this is fairly typical. You see in the, in the UK, well, the one on the, on the right, it's just got a number on it, but otherwise clean. And so Jacob says, well, in any flock, what is it? 30% maybe are a bit spotty or, or fleckled, spe fleckled, whatever, speckled, um, striped. Um, how about I get all of them and you get the rest? So you're still in credit, Laban. That's the deal. Well, and if the flock grows, it's good for you and it's good for me. How about that, Laban? Well, okay. So, um, uh, verse 34, agreed, said Laban. Yeah, okay, that's a deal. We'll do that. But it's typical for this family. Verse 35, what does Laban do? That same day, he removed all the male goats that were street spotted, all the speckled and female goats, placed them in the care of his sons, and then ran away for a three-day distant journey, verse 36. Yeah, good deal, let's take on it, great. I'm out of here, and I'm taking all the sheep that you're gonna get, and I'll just leave you with the white ones, the, the, sort of pure, the, the ones which haven't got any blemishes on there, um, and uh, we're out of here. So he's just trying to cheat him. At this point, of course, uh, Jacob has the, does the really obvious thing, and he gets all the sheep and goats to mate in front of branches he look here's my one you know he strips the bark off something like this i guess puts it in the watering trough in where the uh, the animals water they go whoa this is this is delicious water they all get a little bit frisky uh, they all go about mating and all the 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 the, the baby ewes etc they're all born with well all the strong ones are born streak verse 39 streaked or speckled or spotted and the conclusion is verse 43. So Jacob grows exceedingly prosperous, comes to own large flocks, servants, camels, donkeys. Okay. What do you do with that? And I guess if the story ended there, what do you do with it? You come up with all sorts of arbitrary applications, I guess. Um, be more cunning than your rivals. Expect your colleagues in the office to try and do you over and do them over worse. Um, thus says the Lord. Um, might be what you take from that. Or uh, perhaps uh, what you should do tomorrow is uh, go out into the garden or the park and uh, cut down some branches and strip the bark. And if you wave them in front of your computer tonight, tomorrow you'll have the most extraordinary day. And everything will go well and you'll become much wealthier. What are we, you know, what are you going to do with chapter 30? It's bonkers. And so it doesn't end there happily. So we see that this strange sort of pagan fertility breeding program that Jacob introduces brings him success. Of success. Chapter 31. The Lord reveals he's the source of success. So now we do a sort of rewind, it's a bit like Hamilton, if you've seen it, you know, you get the, the same scene, rewound, and uh, played again from another player's uh, perspective. So chapter 31. Okay, Jacob is observant. He heard that Laban's sons were saying Jacob has taken everything. This is grrr. Verse 2, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. The writing's on the wall, things are going to fall out here. And then you get the explicit statement, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. What a great promise. So he says to his wife, verse four, come on, Rachel, Leah, we're out of here. Um, we gotta go, your father's attitude to me, it's, it's burned, it's changing. In fact, let's read it, verse five, because here's what we need. 
he said to his wives, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages and all the flocks gave birth to speckled ones, and he said the street ones will be your wages, all the flocks bore street young. Here's the main point, verse nine. God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. Actually, Jacob recognizes his success. It's nothing to do with his barking mad, strip the bark fertility scheme. God has given him his success. Verses 10 to 12, God gives him a dream to explain, look, here's what's going to happen. Verse 11, the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, yeah, here I am. He said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock of street speckled us. But God tells him exactly what's going on. So do you see the very obvious difference between in chapter 30, what we see, all we see is that two men trying to outdo one another and Jacob seems to be successful because he comes up with this strange scheme of getting the sheep to breed in front of branches that have, what? Chapter 31 says, ignore all that. That's just neither here nor there. God has done it. God has given success to Jacob. There's a sense in which we see chapter 30 and verse 43 Jacob grows exceedingly prosperous and owns all sorts of flocks because of his scheming. But chapter 31 tells us, here's what's true, verse 9. God has done this. Okay. So we've zoomed out. We just see one thing. Jacob's strange fertility scheme works. We zoom out. Okay. Okay. God was at work through this. It was nothing to do with stripping bark and putting it in a water trough. What do we do with that? Three things. Three things I think to take away. Here's the first, probably the most important. If you're bewildered, keep trusting. Okay. If you're bewildered, keep trusting. Normal life looks like verse 30 often. We look at what's going on and we think, what's that? What's all that about? Why has that taken place? Why does God appear to be blessing this family, which is despicable, godless, they're lying? What's going on? You see, why does God, this chapter 30 of Genesis, it's so strange. I mean, if you thought, I'm going to write a story and shove it in the Bible and make it as daft as it can possibly be. Uh, uh, we're going to strip some bark off sticks, throw them in a water trough, and that's going to make all the flocks really uh, a little bit giddy. They're all going to breed, and they're going to give birth to uh, sheep which have sort of stripy bits or spotty bits. And what? And that way Jacob gets really wealthy and does over Laban. I mean... You're not going to pass your GCSEs writing that as an English paper. It's just ridiculous. But I think that's the point. The Lord says, look, let me record a really, really stupid story. A really, really bewildering story. So that you, when you read it, you go, 
And then let me explain afterwards what was going on. Because in truth, life sometimes really seems that way. And something happens to you personally and you think, or you sit through a pandemic and think, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow that to happen? That's just devastating. For most of us, wildly inconvenient, depressing, sad. For some families, of course, utterly tragic, but it's, why would you do that? And this section, these two chapters say, look, all you see is this. You just see a part of the picture. I see it all, says the Lord, and there are purposes and there are plans. And you may not see them now. And I'm not sending you an angel in the 21st century to tell you what's taking place while you sleep at night. But one day we'll enter glory, we'll rewind history and say, okay, now I see what was going on. Now I see what was taking place. Now I see the purpose in the apparent madness of the moment. Now I see. I didn't get it at the time, but the Lord was always at work. So look, if you're bewildered, keep trusting. There are points in this life where we just see weirdness. But the Lord has a plan. If you're bewildered, keep trusting. Look, secondly, uh, if, if you're successful, keep humble. I think is part of the point. By God's grace here, Jacob is prevented from proudly declaring, hey, look at me. I have become exceedingly prosperous. I I came here with nothing. I I I leave here with uh, all sorts of flocks and vast wealth and uh, servants. I'm the man. Because Jacob knows that God has given him this wealth. For you and I, we may lack the full picture. We just see part of the picture. We don't see it all. So we might think, well, success is down to me. Success is down to my intelligence, my scheming. Our successful careers, churches, whatever it may be, are down to us. And we have to recognize, no, the Lord gives you this. I mean, often secular academics can recognize it. On a human level, um, It's an old book now, but Malcolm Gladwell's magnificent book, Outliers, The Story of Success. Of course, if you read it, you know what? The secret of success, it's very simple, says Malcolm Gladwell. Actually, it's really simple to be successful. You just have to be born in the right place at the right time. That's it. That's all you need to do. So take numerous examples. I think one sense the the most fun is the the sort of... uh, But anyway, one of them, the, the tech industry talks about Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, a number of others. They're all born in 1955. They enter university in the early 70s just as computer technology starts to take off. They're young enough to adjust to the new tech. If they'd been born five years earlier, five years later, they would not have made their money. This is just going to be born in the right place at the right time. So Liz, you know, said before, Warren Buffett worth however many billions it is. You know, he's... Seems, I mean, whatever you make of him, fairly level-headed bloke, given he's made billions and billions. Um, you know, often observed, stick me down in the middle of Bangladesh in the 19th century and see how much money I made. You know, I was just in the right place at the right time. 
obviously, this is more fundamental still, what God is saying here in chapters 30 and 31. But don't think it's stripping the bark, throwing it in a water trough, and encouraging sheep to breed. Don't think it's your scheme that brings you wonderful success. Well, we do what we can, of course. We make good use of the gifts God has given us, but it is him. The deal you struck this week, the case you won, the patient you healed, the project you completed, the experiments you finished, the money you earned, the success that's been achieved this week, it comes from the Lord. And of course, if you think, no, no, it's my success, I've done all this, then please don't laugh at Jacob. Because you're no different to him stripping bark and throwing it in a water trough if you think it's all down to you. Look, if you're bewildered, keep trusting. If you're successful, keep humble. Last little thing to say. If you're anxious, keep looking at Jesus. We didn't have it all read, but after all this, and Jacob walks away loaded, a millionaire of his day, knowing that God is with him and God has given him this vast success. And look what happens, though. Verse 20 of chapter 31. Let me just take you through it briefly. Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. Verse 21, so he fled with all he had, crossing the river Euphrates. Why are you running away, Jacob? You know God is with you. Well, Laban pursues him, catches up with him, questions him. And uh, uh, so eventually Jacob has to tell Laban, verse 31 of chapter 31. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid. I thought you'd take your daughters away from me by force. But Jacob, you've just declared that Laban could never harm you because God was with you. And now you're having a wobble. Come on. And yet in one sense, this is very real, isn't it? I'm certainly, this is me at points. I can declare in my head, yes, of course. God is the source of all that I have. I know, logically, I see a tiny part of the picture. He sees it all. I know that. And yet there are moments where I really struggle to trust him. Just like Jacob here. One of the problems in this, these two chapters, and particularly chapter 31, everyone knows what's true, actually. Everyone recognizes the power of God in chapter 31, but no one really trusts him. They say, oh, God has done this and God has... But none of them actually trust him. So still, in chapter 31, Jacob keeps talking about... So, for example, uh, verse 5, the God of my father has been with me. Or even towards the end of the chapter, chapter 31, verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been, Isaac had not been here with me, you'd have surely sent me away empty-handed. It's a very strange expression to use. My daddy's God is with me. My granddaddy's God looks after me, but is he your God, Jacob? Why do you not just say, my Lord and my God has protected me? No, my daddy's God, my granddaddy's God. It, it, 
He sort of knows it's true, but personally, he doesn't trust. I think it's quite easy to function in that way. Oh, yes, look, I know God is the ruler of all. I know God is sovereign. Uh, I, I know I see in part and I don't see the full picture, but I can still wake up each morning and fail to say, my Lord and my God will take care of me. And so you and I, we need to keep looking at Jesus to deepen that trust. I mean, if this is the daftest example of only seeing part of the picture and not seeing it all, of course, the most important in the Bible is, well, it's the events of Easter weekend. Because at the first time of the, the, the original occurrence, of course, you get to Good Friday and you say, what? The scheming of evil men has brought success. Jesus is dead. All their schemes to sort of infiltrate the, the, the disciples, uh, and they've done it. It's been betrayed by Judas, and the scheming has worked of evil men. And then you get to, good, then you get to Easter Sunday, and the camera zooms out, and you go, oh, no. Oh, no, it didn't, did it? <laughs> I thought it had all gone wrong. But no, God had a place. It's like Ocean's Eleven. You know, you think, oh, no, the heroes, even though they're baddies and they're criminals, really, uh, they've lost, they've all been shot. And then, you use the camera zoom out, and you get the, the second take, oh, no, clever, clever. They've actually walked away with all the cash and the girl. Good old gorgeous George, he's done it again. And... Um, I don't want to be irreverent, but there is that sense here of what? Oh, no. Good Friday, disaster. Easter Sunday, ah. Oh, no, this was always God's plan. Oh, actually, he's achieved far more than we'd thought. Brilliant. See, when you look at that, and you look at Easter in particular, I don't think it makes it easy to trust God. It certainly makes it possible. Where Jesus died and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, I don't suppose that was easy, but possible, because he trusted him. Jesus was able to trust. Now, there's a bigger picture to what everyone can see here. And you and I need to know that. When life is just bewildering, there is a bigger picture. And we can trust that the Lord is he's achieving good. Let me pray. Great God of others, we declare in a moment, you, you, you move in a mysterious way sometimes. And our blind unbelief is sure to err. And scan your work in vain. Your the interpreter we need. You'll make it plain. Father, so often in this life, we look at the circumstances of our own lives, in our country, in our world, and are absolutely bewildered. We cannot fathom what you are doing. And yet in the wonderful plants of your good sovereignty, you are harvesting, you are mining wonderful outcomes. And so we pray that seeing this bizarre story and how actually you're achieving good through it, we would trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.